I invite you to turn in the Word of God to the book of 1 Corinthians to chapter 4. You'll find the main text also printed in the bulletin. First Corinthians chapter 4, we have not been in 1 Corinthians, but this text was chosen specifically in light of this being Pastor Phil's last day of preaching among us, and also on account of Father's Day, as you're going to see. Now, by way of a little bit of context, verses 8 and 13, verses 8 through 13, preceding our main text this morning, the Apostle Paul has just delivered a very sharp set of statements to a young church that he had helped to plant. So harsh that they would be tempted to feel like he is speaking from bad motives as if he is speaking to hurt them because he's just compared his incredible willingness to suffer on account of Christ and the ministry with their great attachment to the comforts, to the wealth, and the honor of this world. And it would be calculated in such a way it would make them feel quite bad. But now, the passage that we come to He is assuring them, he's affirming to them where he's coming from. It's coming from a place of love and from a very special relationship that he has with them. Our focus this morning is going to be on that kind of relationship and how it's possible for that kind of relationship he had with them to exist today among believers as well. Now, we do not always stand for the reading of the word, but in view of just having a meal together and the realities of human weakness, it'd be good for us, yes, to stand and hear the word together. Let's stand and receive the word. The apostle begins at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Let's ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to receive again a spiritual meal, the word which you empower by your spirit. We ask that you would bless it to us for the glory of Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This sermon, by God's help, is intended to address really two pretty straightforward questions. The first question is, what was the kind of relationship that the Apostle Paul had with that church? What is he getting at when he says that he was their father? And then the second question is, practically speaking, what difference does this truth make for us in the church to understand that there can be this kind of relationship, a father-son-like relationship in the body of Christ. Now, before we proceed really to try to answer either of those questions, however, we need to deal with a different tension, perhaps a tension that you would feel when you hear this passage, or maybe one that you aren't aware of, but at some point you'll encounter. That is, how do we square Paul's words here with Jesus' words elsewhere? I wonder if you already have in mind What I'm referring to in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says there to his disciples, call no one father. Call no one father. 
And in fact, in that same passage in Matthew 23, he also says, and let no one call you an instructor. But here, Paul is identifying himself as some kind of spiritual father to the Corinthians, and he says that they have many instructors. So how do these two passages relate? Well, there is one ultimate source, one author of all of Scripture. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit. And so they are not against each other. We have to reconcile these. If, that is, we're going to acknowledge Paul was a father in some sense, and there may indeed be father-son relationships like this even now. Well, what is going on? Why are they seemingly against each other? We have to appreciate the context of what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus, when he speaks, sometimes speaks by way of hyperbole. For instance, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand does, cut it off. This is hyperbole, though some in church history have dared to take it over literally. You have to ask, what is he getting at? In those cases, he's saying, really, it's your heart that's the issue, and only God can transform your heart. In the instance of saying, let no one call you father, nor call anyone father, he's getting at something that really goes to a root issue. The issue is not the title, it's what you make of it. And there he's saying, we have to acknowledge God the Father is the ultimate, the final source, the real source of spiritual life. And Christ, the eternal second person, is the ultimate source of understanding. He is the word, the reason, the fountain of truth as it comes to us from God. And so the issue is with people who would keep up to themselves as kind of status or honor separate from God and want to be thought of as the real source of truth. There have been those teachers in the church, there are to this day too, people who want others to think of them as if they came up with the real life-changing insights. But no, Jesus says, we have to acknowledge that though God would use human beings, it is the grace of God that gives us understanding. Jesus goes on in Matthew 23 and verse 11 to say, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. A true father doesn't look at his position as one of wielding might over his family. He sees himself as having the highest responsibility of service, of love. And he's humbled by that because he has the opportunity to reflect our Heavenly Father, our true provider, So Jesus isn't saying that nobody can be called a father. He doesn't have, you know, a moratorium against Father's Day. We shouldn't call anybody this. But the question is, do we understand Father as being connected, a servant of the Heavenly Father? Now, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is drawing attention to the fact that he had such a special spiritual relationship with that church. And what we're going to do this morning, again answer two questions. First is try to understand what was that relationship and can we have that kind of relationship today? Then secondly, what is God's will for you in light of our fathers in the faith? What is God's will for you? And so this is what's set before us. Look with me at verse 15. Let's begin to consider together what it meant for Paul to have a paternal, a father-like relationship with his church. Verse 15 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
the literal phrase here is 10,000 guides, and it's hyperbole. He's not saying they literally at that point had 10,000 guides or instructors. In fact, the term is in the subjunctive. It means even if you were to have 10,000 guides, yet I, Paul, have a unique, a different kind of relationship with you than they do. Take a moment and think. You know, this is kind of back of the napkin math. All of the caretakers you've ever had in your life from your earliest infancy who were not your father. All the babysitters that you may have had. I can remember a number of the ones I had, even their names. They made an impression. I value them. I think of some of the leaders I had. I was a Boy Scout, and I had these father-like figures, but they were not my dad. Whatever number you had, even if you had 10,000s of figures in your life who made an impression, by God's ordaining providence, exactly one man played the instrumental role of being your physical father. One person in all of human history, out of the billions upon billions upon billions, is so intimately connected to your present existence. Now, it may be that that person is someone that you don't have the best relationship with. It may be that that person is one that you don't even know. And yet, we must acknowledge that by God's providence, there is something unique and special about that human relationship. And certainly God's will from the beginning was not that there should be sin making a mess of those father relationships. But now, in the same way, Paul takes this, or at least a similar way, and he says that there's a similarity. They have many spiritual guides, many people who may have a relationship to teach them, to discipline them, and yet he says you have not many fathers. He doesn't say you have only one, and perhaps that's because, spiritually speaking, God sometimes does use a small group of individuals to help you first come to the knowledge of the truth. But think for a moment about the miracle of how God brings people to faith. That's what he is speaking about here when Paul says in verse 15, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, he's not taking credit all to himself. The physical conception of a child involves human beings as agents. And yet, it is God who gives the miracle of life. And the book of Jeremiah says that it's God who knits the soul together in the womb. God the Father is the ultimate father, both of your body and of your soul. And yet he uses human beings both to give you physical life and spiritual life. John chapter 3, Jesus says that one who would partake in the kingdom must be born from above. That's speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit. But then how do you actually come to faith? How do you experience spiritual life? I want you to think back to your own experience. Some of you came to faith a little later. Others of you can only remember growing into this from early childhood. But he used the word, right? He used the word. You weren't just suddenly, you know, like walking down the street one day, you'd never read the Bible, and suddenly you have faith in Jesus. That's not how it works. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word is the seed. It's that which carries life in itself with the power of the spirit. And yet, how does that come to you? Think back on your own life. 
Did you just have a, an angel come into your room and explain the gospel to you and no other human being was involved? The Bible goes out of its way to say that God has chosen to use what seems foolish in the sight of the world, to use mere human servants to carry the gospel to us. Your own father, according to the flesh, may not be the most impressive person in the world, and yet God used him. And spiritually speaking, some of those who were used as spiritual fathers were not great preachers, not incredible people, as the world would think, but he used someone who carried the word. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How are they to hear without someone preaching to them? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The phrase there, good news, it's the same term Paul uses in our text to say that they were born through the gospel. Someone, or some several persons, but it's a small group relative to how many Christians edify you throughout your life, someone ministered the gospel to you first. I remember... I wasn't born into a a professedly Christian family, but I remember still, it's one of the only memories I have of being about four years old. I remember being at the house of one of my babysitters, and they were having some kind of party. I think she had just gotten married recently. And I remember this man who was maybe in his 20s. The, The memory just picks up right at this moment. I'm on the shoulder of this man, and he's explaining to me that God loves us so much that God came to earth and his name is Jesus and Jesus took our punishment and that everyone who trusts him will be saved. I don't know if I came to faith then, although I don't remember thinking he was lying to me. I remember thinking he seems like a very nice man. I learned later that uh, from my father that he was considered the, the Christian crazy person of the family. He had come to faith maybe two years earlier and he was sharing the gospel with everybody. And maybe the Lord was granting him many spiritual children right off the bat. But I remember him sharing the gospel with me. Think back in your life, who shared the gospel with you? Paul, in their case, was the instrument or one of the instruments of bringing the gospel first to them. Now, I want to be clear here, too, though it is Father's Day. I'm persuaded that there's a sense in which it's appropriate to acknowledge that women may be fathers in the faith too. Why am I willing to say that? I think for the same reason that Paul is willing to say, my little children, once again, I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Spiritually speaking, Paul can also speak of himself like a mother. That is, he feels pangs longing to see them delivered into maturity. And spiritually speaking, God takes both men and women and sends them out, and they speak the gospel, and by the work of his Holy Spirit, people come to faith. And for that reason, we, before we move any further, should pause, and within our souls, be grateful to God that he used sinners to share the gospel with us. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad, or maybe it was somebody in your community. If you've come to the gospel, it wasn't just that God flashed it into you. Human beings made sacrifices to walk with the Lord and to speak with you. And Paul was that person in their life. Now, you may not know specifically who was used by God in that way, and I'm not totally certain who spoke the gospel first to me in a way that I really, really got. 
seemed like there were a few people all in a period of uh, a relatively short period of time. We don't all know who our father was in that sense. But we know our Heavenly Father used someone, and somebody prayed for us, and somebody cared for us. But here's the point in verse 15. Paul wants to say that where it is understood that there is this relationship, there will be a special rootedness in love, a special kind of affection shared by these people together, and a special kind of responsibility felt by the person who was that voice of truth and of the gospel. He says, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. The word guides here is significant. It's the root, or rather, it's virtually an identical word for what we have in English, a pedagogue, a teacher. But at that time, a pedagogue was typically a slave or a servant of the family chosen by the father to take care of the children at times when the father and the mother were not available to. For instance, children who were going off to school, and in the ancient world, they had school too. This is an old thing. They would have the pedagogue take the children to class. And the pedagogue was responsible to make sure they didn't get hurt, then wander away, discipline them if necessary, speak to them and try to teach them. And there's no question that many of these pedagogues did so faithfully, dutifully, and had a certain amount of affection. In this passage, I don't think the point is to say that Paul is good and they are bad, and Paul's a loving father, and every other minister they'd ever have, whether Timothy or Apollos, they're just, they're no good. But it is to say, Paul is making a comparative claim, I love you in a special way because I sense that God used me providentially and bonded me at a significant juncture in your eternal life, your everlasting life. I got to be used for that. And he feels this deep love towards them. And it's reflected in a number of ways. Look with me at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Here every father, but all mothers too, should take note. What should motivate us in correcting our children is not shame in itself, not vindictiveness, not to relieve our anger upon them. But Paul says, if I say hard things, it's because I love you and I want to spare you of an even harder existence that will come if I don't speak these necessary words of admonition, of warning, and of love. And if that's true in the home, as it says in Hebrews 12, 7, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? One of the signs of a derelict father is that he doesn't discipline his children. He doesn't love them. Whatever he says, if he wants to outsource all correction, he's outsourced his role as a father. If that's true in the physical relationship, it is just as much, if not more, true concerning the role of a pastor in a church. If he loves the children of the Lord, then he must, in love, at times speak hard things. But Paul wants them to know where it's coming from. It's coming from love, not simply to shame you. And then it spurs him to live in such a way that others can imitate his life. Verse 16, you see, he says, be imitators of me. Now, I'm sure a few people have read that and thought Paul is a little confident. 
That's pretty bold to say, imitate me. But on the other hand, he would be a hypocrite if he couldn't say that. When he says, imitate me, he's including the fact that he too is a sinner. And when you fall, you get up. And others are learning that as well. But part of being a father, whether natural or spiritual, is that you are mindful to set an example that can be imitated. You desire to do that. It's no longer about you and just having a clean conscience before the Lord so you don't feel guilty all the time. That might be how children think. But a mature believer, one growing into adulthood, says, I want to set an example for the sake of their souls so that they walk in a better way, so that they see the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a low ebb, an immature state in the Christian life where your primary motive for not sinning is to avoid your own guilt. That is infantile. You're growing up in the faith. You're becoming eligible, as it were, to become a parent in the faith when you live before the Lord, also in order to provide an example to others in love. And Paul has this beautiful relationship with them that's reflected in these words. What then do we do with this? Practically, I think that there are several things that we should be encouraged to do. Far more could be said, but I want to bring before you just a handful by way of conclusion. And they come predominantly in the form of prayers, things that I want to encourage. I don't want to say you, us, us as a congregation to be in prayer for. And these will come into the prayers of the next several weeks in our congregational prayers. I encourage them to be a part of your family prayers, your private prayers as well. First, this should cause us to pray that God would grant more spiritual fathers. It is a miracle from him that anyone is born physically, and it's a miracle that anyone is born spiritually. But he uses means. And it's not uncommon that people will ask the church, please pray for us, we're trying to conceive a child, it's been hard, please pray for us. We need to pray similarly, God, raise up persons and use them to bring the gospel effectively. And that doesn't have to be just ministers. That includes you. That we would pray, God, please use me as an effective agent of your good word, your evangel. But it should especially be the minister's. One person has said that a pastor without progeny, an old word for children, a pastor without progeny is a tragedy. You think back to the story of Jacob in the Bible, and he has a wife, Rachel. And Rachel sees her sister having all these children, and Rachel is sad. In Genesis 30, verse 1, it says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. This, pray that this would be the heart burden of every pastor and every elder. That when we look at Jesus Christ, that we want to say before him, the true bridegroom, and we, the church, or the bride, give us children or we die. And the idea of a a pastor making it through decades of ministry and not being able to say, Here is one where clearly they did not know the Lord, and now they do. And the joy of that, it really puts winds into the sails of ministry. Not simply to be an instructor to those who already knew the Lord, which is good, 
but to see people come to faith. And I will boast, not in myself here, but I'll boast in Pastor Phil, that over the years when I think of who has come into this church who did not know the Lord, who had not a lick of Bible knowledge, couldn't tell you what Genesis was. They thought it was a game console from the 90s. And I'm serious. And the patience, like a, a mother bearing a child for 10 years, or 10, God help us, 10, 10 months, nine or 10 months. The Lord has brought people through spiritual birth longer than that. But to do that and to speak the word in and then to see people come to faith and be baptized, that does great things for ministry. And we need to pray that God would preserve that, that it never becomes just maintaining the classroom. But there's a spirit of expectation, a longing for children. And may this be our prayer for Pastor Phil as well, as he goes to a new area, that in Abbotsford, by the Lord's grace, he will be a father there too. And that others will come to faith in the gospel, that they'll hear it and be transformed. Not simply that he goes and has the great blessing of maintaining a church there, but that they experience new birth. And so we should pray for him in that respect. A second prayer is that we would pray for ministers to be overcome with a father-like love for the people of God. A father-like love. Now I can speak for my own life here that uh, I, I didn't have some of the advantages of a close relationship with my natural mother. She was not a believer. My stepmother, however, entered my life when I was seven or eight years old. And early on, she had the sense to tell me she wasn't trying to replace my mom. But she told me that she was going to try to love me and to do the things that God wants moms to do. And I have had the joy that never once since I was about eight years old have I had to doubt that she loved me, that she cared for me. So even if you are not the original agent of somebody's coming to faith that God used, yet there can be adoptive love. And that should be our prayer for all of us, that there would be, if not a father-like love, a brother-like love in the family of God. That we don't look at one another merely as friends, fellow church attenders, but these are my everlasting family, and I'm going to love them for the Father's sake. But then especially ministers of the word that there would be a burden of father-like love, whether or not those people came to faith under them. One of the more influential of the reformers in the 1500s made this comment. And in the context, he was making this comment not about, say, Roman Catholic priests. He was talking about Protestants here. You have to understand this. He says... How few are there that love the churches with a fatherly, that is to say a disinterested affection, and lay themselves out to promote their welfare? Meanwhile, there are very many pedagogues who give out their services as hirelings in such a manner as to discharge it as if it were a mere temporary office. And in the meantime, they hold the people in subjection and admiration where is the man to be found who acts in such a manner as to show that he is a father in the faith? This should be our prayer, especially for the elders and pastors of this church, 
that they would do what they do out of a, a love that comes from God the Father where they look upon the church members as children of the Lord and love them and understand you're going to give an account to their true dad. But then this should also be our prayer for Pastor Phil as he goes to a new church where he doesn't know all the people, hasn't had a decade with them, that supernaturally the Holy Spirit would continue the work he's already begun and fill and overflow out of Pastor Phil with a divine adoptive love for that congregation. And that they would have no doubt and be assured by the Holy Spirit, we are loved by our shepherd. We have, humanly speaking, a spiritual father among us here, one who loves us and cares for us. Finally, I encourage you in prayer this day to give thanks. Maybe as a family, give thanks that God has provided such people in our lives. Give thanks for the role that Pastor Phil has played. Give thanks that we have a consistory who continues to fill this role here. The Lord has been good to us. Let's close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for having given to us fathers in the faith, people that you have used to speak the gospel and that by your spirit you blessed and caused the word to take root in us. Lord, we pray that according to your will, we would also speak effectively in others. We know that you often hide that work and that it's good for us perhaps not always to know just how you've used us. But we yearn and we pray, especially for Pastor Phil, Father, that you would do these things, that you would make him more and more effective, that you would please knit his heart together to the congregation in Abbotsford. Heavenly Father, that you would work among us here similarly, a deep love for one another, a cherishing of the life, the miraculous life that you impart through your word. For in Jesus' name, God's people pray. Amen.